Okay, we are live. Hello, welcome everyone to Cannabis Marketing Live. I am Jake Litke, the CEO of MediaGel. I am your host today. And we have returning, which may be our, our most frequent guest now. Uh, Third, Matt three-timer Turner. now. Three timer. Well, we'll start to do it like SNL, where you get the jacket. You know, get the, that's like, right. That's right. Time. Um, but we're here, and we have Matt again because we're going to be talking more about data. Uh, we have you know topics that we cover, but it is a complex subject, so we're we're doing more of these to get into more details. So today we're going to be talking about navigating third party data, um, how to use it, how not to use it, what the different categories are. Um, for those of you that have not joined us before, uh, Matt. Maybe you could uh, just do a quick uh, bio about yourself and why you have some uh, context to give here about third-party data. Sure. Yeah. Um, Matt Saverno, um, principal at Statera Solutions. Um, we are a data company and data solutions company. Uh, we build a uh, national consumer file of 260 million Americans or over 260 million Americans that compiles every American adult. And... Um, we do um, analytics based on certain demographics that we've attached to that file, and we make it available um, for uh, data matching and audience creation and, and, and marketing, um, have um, integrations with a few different cannabis tech companies, um, but first and foremost are as our relationship with MediaGel, where our, our data is activated for display and CTV and other, other digital ads. Great. Thank you for that. Okay, so um, let's dive into it right away. And um, I think that it's always good to lay some foundational pieces of information here. And, and I know we've gone over this before, but really quickly, give us a definition of first versus second versus third party data. We're going to be focusing mostly on third party data, but that sometimes can bleed over into the, the other. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, um, first-party data is data that that it, that you as a customer owns. Um, it's a it's a customer loyalty list. It's a opted-in text message list. It's an opt-in email list. Um, and the 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 actions you take on that data are um, related to the uh, agreement you have with the customer on how you're going to use their data. So, like in the um, when they sign up, you know, they 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 check the box for the terms and conditions, and that is the license that you then have to use that data. Usually it's just, you know, remarketing to those customers and maybe gleaning some, um, uh, think, uh, some, some things about that customer from, from what you know about that data. And then second party data. Oh, wait, go ahead. Before you go into second part, let's, let's mention something about first party data. So Matt mentioned that there's supposed to be some sort of agreement that as in, is in place. So um, the most simple version that most people would see is if you're doing remarketing off of your website visitors. Um, and in order to really be doing that in a compliant way, you need to have a privacy policy on your website. And of course, you know, there's a cookie notification. So um, then there's more complex things on first party data, like maybe you have email addresses or you've got phone numbers or, or any of those things. Now, if you don't, if you didn't actually enter into some sort of agreement, it doesn't have to be complicated, um, but you you really do need to have record or at least have someone check a box or agree to receive communication from you in the future. So um, that's an important distinction. Just because like someone hands you a list of email addresses does not necessarily mean that you have um, 
the legal right to just send them messages. So that's an important thing to talk about first party and we'll get into how that affects other things. Yeah. Second yeah. party now. Yeah. Second party data is um, <clears throat> data then that you will uh, either append to your first party data um, to, to, to know more about that, that first party data record. So if you have Matt Taverna as a, as, as a customer, um, who's opted into a, onto a first party communication, like we just talked about the second party data would be then data that you would buy, um, or that you would record or that you would create yourself, um, that describes Matt Taverna. Um, it would be, you know, 42 year old male and you might append some demographics, you might append um, some new address information um, from the like the you know, National Change of Address Service for the U.S. Postal Service. You might um, be able to attach some of my purchase habits from your point of sale to that customer record, and then so that that creates like a third party data element, a second party data element that you've attached to your first party data. Um, and you know that is. Uh, you know, I would say that second party data trends in for this conversation more toward the first party data conversation because it's a little bit like um, the human brain, the human body. Like the, the second party data is not worth very much without the first party data attached to it, and then and vice versa. Um, and so third party data is is kind of the what we're talking about today, um, and where that the I think the compliance and privacy issues are are most prevalent. In, in the discussions today, um, it is data that you do not own, that and it's data that, that you that you purchase from from uh, from a, literally a third party. Um, so this could be in the form of um, digital audiences that you know when you go to serve digital ads, um, you serve to audiences that um, you don't necessarily have a, have a relationship with, other than the fact that you think they're a prospective customer. Um, it could be in the form of, um, in, in certain industries, uh, a, a purchased mailing list that you, uh, mail, um, your direct mailer to, um, in another, in certain industries, it could be a phone list, you know, a list of phone numbers that you then call through to, to, to reach folks that, um, and then kind of from order, like the in reverse order is probably the, the most, uh, regulation on phones than to mail than to than to digital as far as um you know what you can do with with third-party data and, yeah. and then, okay and so we can delineate a couple of uh there's 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 utilizing the data and then of course as you're saying there's how you're using the data right so for example the um the sort of lowest threshold is something where you would buy let's say a third-party audience for doing digital Retarget, targeting for a digital audience uh, via display advertising. So there's thousands of these audiences. They could be dog owners or democratic voters. There's a lot of different things that you purchase from a third party. And frequently in that interaction, you never take custody of the actual identity of the audience itself. You're going to go right. into your buying platform and say, I want to use this audience. And then the advertising exchange kind of does the work around targeting those audiences and you never take custody of them. So there's there's a much there's much less compliance required there, and you're also not um, when you're doing display advertising, you're not reaching out proactively to someone directly. All you're doing is is saying that you know of the impressions that are available, I want my impression to show up to this particular person. So that whole and and, and just and for those of you like for anybody who doesn't understand what like taking custody means, it literally means like you won't be accessing a, a spreadsheet of. Columns of first name, last name, 
address, city, state, zip, phone number, gender, race, age. You like for for digital audiences, um, in 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 the in the way that they're traditionally created, um, the end the end client, the advertiser does not actually ever have that spreadsheet. So correct. So you have much less compliance risk there because you don't you don't know you don't actually know who the people are. You're just targeting them as a group, right? right? And so, um, and this is this is something that's commonly done. Um, you would kind of see a similar thing if you've ever advertised in Facebook or Google. They've got drop downs. You don't get to know who those people are. You just know that they may match some sort of feature that you want in your in your advertising campaign. So that's talking about display advertising. Now, um, the other channels where third-party data is utilized, uh, it, it can be utilized for direct outreach, right? And so you've got email, uh, you've got phone calls, and you've got text messages. And each one of those channels has its own set of best practices, but it also has its own set of laws. Um, the things that you're allowed to do via email uh, versus text versus calling are all very different. Um, and in some cases, it's different in different in different legislations, uh, legislative areas, right? So, like California specifically has CPAA, um, which is a more stringent set of laws. And I do think you know there's other states that are adopting similar ones. Um, in you've got the Can Spam Act, you've got Canoa, um, and then you also have um, the what's the minors one? Why can't I think of it right now? uh for not certain I mean, uh, yeah i mean the, yeah there are state level um regulations that uh kind of regulate the you know the, the age of the universe that that you're targeting um and then this is this applies to uh cannabis and, and alcohol uh, and tobacco sports wagering at different levels right because there's there's yeah. actually just laws in general about advertising to anyone that's like under 13 for example oh um, right okay but then I, there's I didn't, specific, okay. yeah then there's specific laws around what you can do when it comes to controlled substance or regulated products uh and then there's category specific rules right so if you're doing anything with housing for example um you know you can't do targeting based on income or ethnicity because of the fair housing act so there's there's a lot of different ways that you can run into this but Let's try to focus mostly on on cannabis because that was the topic here. Um, and let's yeah. Talk so about I mean, and and, and uh, let's go through what, what you were talking about. Like, um, e email versus uh, you know, th like third party email. Um, so I there's so like from from a uh, legal perspective, again, none, none of none of this is meant to be legal advice. We can kind of advise on our experience, but from a legal perspective, um, I would never use a third party email list ever. And if you are planning on going to a data uh, provider to ask them for emails of people you do not know, um, I would advise strongly against that for the legal reasons. But also, it is a horrible best practice, um, and it is a horrible ROI. Um, if you have like 100,000 people, then you get the email address for those 100,000. Um, you're going to get a delivery rate of somewhere between you know, 25 and 40%. So you're, you know, you're down to 35,000 emails. Um, and then the actually um, click click through rate is going to be somewhere like around 3% of that. So you're, it just dwindles your actual target audience down, who's whoever's going to receive the message. And then the return on 100,000 emails that from a third party is like usually will get um, less than, it's like an average of less than one conversion. 
And yeah, so and you will get gonna, yeah. negative conversions, which right, people exactly. will call yeah, and people. email you yeah. and yeah. be mad. Um, yeah. In addition to those people being upset with you and your brand, uh, you, there is a, a thriving ecosystem of lawyers and law firms that litigate against this type of behavior. Right. And so, that's a companies that will start to ban your URL, your URL from email platforms, but also other parts of ad tech. Yeah. Yeah. You will see, um, like I said, there's an active community of, of lawyers out there that will uh, start writing letters. They'll write writing legal letters. Uh, we received this email. Um, we're not on your list. Why did you send it? And if you don't have some way of proving that that person did opt in, um, then then you can find yourself in some trouble. Yeah. So th third party emails, that's definite no, no. Um, third party phone numbers. Um, this is something I, I, I worked in politics for um, a, a long time before I got into cannabis uh, and, and other, uh, the other, the other retail work I'm doing. Um, and phone calls were and, and remain a, a really big in uh, third party phone, phone calls, phone numbers uh, remain a really big part of the political data industry. Um, and that is because out of all the the um, robot dialing and, and, and other laws associated with phone numbers, um, politicians uh, made it their their goal to exclude themselves from those laws. So for, for politics, third party email, uh, phone numbers work 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 well. Um, there's a couple of studies out there that that say that they are um, that they can have that kind of negative conversion. Jake talked about. Uh, specifically around somebody's willingness to, to, to give money or, or to make a commitment to the to like a political campaign to volunteer or something like that. But the research also shows that the, the, that could be um, overshadowed by the fact that the uh, voter turnout is, is largely uh, enhanced by contact from uh, unsolicited phone calls and texts. So, but yeah, uh, other industries, yeah, I've got, I, was, I don't know how many dispensaries or brands are, you know, calling customers uh, up and telling them they have. Yeah, with yeah, robocalls. Well, yeah, but you yeah, know, so but I think we can put SMS in the same category. Um, you know, you can't you can't just get a. So yeah, I mean, so outside of politics, um, it is it is inadvisable at least and uh, illegal at 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 um. At the worst, and, and against the law, to actually be buying third-party um, cell phone lists and sending unsolicited text messages. So it's a it's a bad legal practice. It's a bad business practice, um, and it's why also you should be keeping up to date your current um, SMS lists because if you start to text many of the wrong people, if you have a list that's like two or three years old, and those numbers have um, kind of gone stale, um, you could be getting in trouble because you're now using it, what would be like a third party phone number on, on, a, on a person that you thought you knew, but now you do not because that phone number belongs to someone else. Yeah, there's also thresholds that occur when you're sending <clears throat> in many platforms anyway. Um, you, you generally need to keep your when you were sending texts out under a certain threshold of unsubscribes for so if you uh, sent if you grabbed a list of phone numbers that you didn't have didn't have necessarily ownership of and you, and you sent out a bunch of messages and that resulted in a large number of people unsubscribing that'll create problems with your texting platform usually also um, because they have 
their own quality levels that they need to maintain in order to keep their connections live with the carriers. Um, there's a whole separate conversation to be had about like 10 DLC and short codes and, and what you can and can't do with text. And I know there's a lot of struggles with that in the cannabis space and that continues to get worse, but we're not going to dive into that now. Maybe we'll do that in a, in a future uh, conversation. Let's uh, circle back to third-party audiences. Uh, now we're not talking about just like uh, phone numbers or emails. We've kind of covered that buying those from people is, is not the, a good practice necessarily. Um, but let's talk about the ways that third-party data is used um, and, and, and how people see success with it. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I think the, the first way is, the, is traditional direct mail. Um, and then third, third party direct mail is, um, legal. It's, it's federally legal. It's legal in, in, you know, every state, there are certain regulations around, um, direct mail. Like you can't be mailing people misinformation and disinformation. Um, you can't be, you know, uh, sending them pyramid schemes or financial schemes and things like that, but that's more related to fraud and crime than the mail itself. Um, so yeah, direct, direct mail is still a tried and true retail practice. Um, and actually because it's based on something that the United States government has a, uh, 250 year history of investment in, in residential addresses and in postal, the postal service, it is a very accurate way of reaching the person you want to reach, um, if they will read the mail. Um, so all that being said, using the third party data for mail is Tried and true. It's a good good use of your dollars if you if you kind of know what you're doing. Um, and then the last is uh, create do creation of digital audiences. And this is kind of where there's kind of two two ways that this is done. Um, at least from the work that's the Terra and, and what we do with MediaGel and, and and other digital um, advertising agencies is there's um, third-party data that lives in digital marketplaces and um, digital data marketplaces. And then Jake, do you want to talk about a little bit of that? Of like sure. All those audiences are created and displayed. Yeah. So there's a, there's a few different broad categories that we use. I mean, we use audiences every day um, for our advertisers and we're serving millions of impressions. And so there's a lot of different tactics depending on what you're doing. So um it, the the larger categories, uh, the more obvious categories, I would say, are we do a fair amount of uh, geospatial retargeting. So we have the ability to uh, draw polygons or circles um, based on locations where mobile devices have been seen in the past. Um, the on-the-nose version of this is we have every dispensary in the country geoframed, right? And so we can build an audience of these are devices that have been seen in a dispensary, and then we can target them uh, with ads when we're actually running ads. So here's an example of no one having custody of this information, right? The, the data itself is aggregated from thousands of applications where users have opted in to share their location information in an anonymous fashion. Uh, when we set up the campaign, we say hey, these are dispensary visitors, or it could be yoga studio visitors or whatever it is that you that you want to come up with specific retail locations. Um, that's one example. So there's geo retargeting is what we'll say that rather than a lot of people talk about geofencing, just for clarification, usually geofencing refers to where the ad is being served at the time of impression. So I want to serve ads in a 10 mile radius around my retail location. That's a geofence. 
um, versus like a geo, uh, like a historical geo audience is where someone is seen in the past. Uh, that's one category. Another common one is purchasers, right? So you have, there is data available from companies such as New Frontier, among others, where they, they have, again, anonymized audiences of these are people that have purchased vapes or CD, C, CBD products or um, edibles by category. And then if you're running a campaign, let's say you're launching a new edible line, um, you can then serve impressions to people that have that you know have purchased those products in the past. Um, the other large category, and this is, we do a lot of this work with Statera, um, is the, some of the demographic stuff that we, we talked about earlier, where it's, I want to target people of a specific income range or that have specific interests. And um, maybe Matt, you could talk a little bit about, actually, before I hand that off to you, I'll say that one of the, th one of the downsides to anonymous third-party audiences is that frequently you have no idea where that data came from, right? So uh, you can go into any demand media platform that exists and buy ads and you can pick an audience that says, these are dog lovers. But generally, there's nothing underneath that to understand where they where they got that data from. Um, if you're working with some specific companies, it's good to understand where the data came from and how they how they came up with those numbers, uh, because you can there's a, a fair amount of freedom that people have to be able to say, oh, this is a uh, a dog right. lover, but they don't tell you how they did it. So one of the reasons right. we partnered with Statera is they have all this demographic information and maybe you can talk about how that data gets. Yeah. Collected. I mean, it's the thing. That, and I think what Jake is, is making the distinction between what is called probabilistic data, which is based on probabilities uh, of someone to be a dog lover, dog owner um, versus deterministic data, which is kind of a known um, piece of information about someone. So in the case of, um, you know, a, like a known cannabis purchaser, purchaser list that, uh, you know, like New Frontier and others kind of produce those data sets. Um, that, that piece of known data is a deterministic data point, even if it's a third party list. So if you, even if you don't know this person, you at least know they bought cannabis, you're going to advertise them compliantly. Um, on your first party data, that's, that's absolutely a deterministic data point. You can even have a skew number attached to that. Right. Um, and but for you know the majority of digital market uh, of digital um, audiences on on data marketplaces and in DSPs and, and such, um, most of that data is 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 based on probabilistic data or, or model data, and so that is compiled with um, certain behaviors or certain indicators that a ad tech company would know about someone. So. Um, and 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 this information comes from things like surveys. If you fill out a warranty card, a lot of that data, data is sold on open marketplaces from with from data brokers. If you use your you know your your CVS card, or I, I don't want to indict CVS, but those kind of loyalty programs, that data is sold, um, and not in a nefarious way, in, in ways that just kind of enhance consumer brands. Um, that that those data points. Like if I, you know, if I shop someplace um, at a frequent basis, then the model data is that I have a propensity to shop at that place, but it may not be based on my known, you know, visits, right? Um, so the, all that model data kind of gets uh, put, 
uh, put into audiences that are then available to be targeted against online. What Statera does um, is, is, is a little bit different uh, in that we base uh, our targeting on, um, like I said, we build a 260 million person uh, database. We base our, our audience building on um, known elements about uh, people that we have on, on that on that big data, database. So we have, um, we ingest a lot of uh, purchaser data. Um, we do really uh, robust surveys um, that, that we're, we're always in field, uh, you know, creating creating uh, th those data elements. Um, and then we also just uh, we we do a, we do a um, really heavy heavy scraping and um, acquisition uh, of of government data sets that kind of tell um, you know all sorts of demographic information on on individuals that can be used um, in certain use cases for for compliance and and targeting of those individuals and then we can so like i said in the beginning of the call like there's, there's a of the webinar there's a spreadsheet so at some point um we satara act as a third-party processor but we actually have that spreadsheet of the of targets that we can set that we then send over um with certain identifiers and and ids that can sync up to um software like like media gel and with ad tech that can be served uh, to that deterministic audience, um, and we and we sit on an identity graph that actually is able to um, make that sync from our offline data set to the online data set um, in a way that uh, kind of cuts through some of the the black box uh, around uh, other audience building. Yeah, so let's walk through a scenario where you go because your data sets can, can translate into the different categories, right? right. So I'll give you an example of a sort of a full chain here, which is that one of the things that, that we can do now is you could take your CRM data, your customer data, let's say you've got a list of 10,000 emails that are your customers of, of your dispensary or retail location or whatever it is. You can onboard that into a platform um, and we, it can take the email addresses and they can hash them into something that is now encrypted and anonymized. That hashed value can then go into, and that's your first party data at this point, but now we're going to go send it into a third party. In this case, we're just going to send it to Statera, right? Take those uh, email, those hashed email addresses, those then turn into um, addressable, an addressable audience that you can retarget ads to on phones on, on cell phones while people are you know reading the news or, or playing games on their phone um so that's one example of a sort of a round trip there and in that case you as the advertiser or customer owner you've never taken possession of that information that happened in a clean room um and inside of the satara data warehouse that they send a then anonymized audience to your advertising provider in this case us although it could be someone else um and then we're able to serve ads to them so that's one use case um, another use case is taking that same original CRM data, putting it into the identity graph, and then getting a lookalike audience. And so what happens in that transaction is um, because those uh, those identities can be measured across all the demographic scoring. So again, we mentioned age, gender, there's like 500 of these things. But what you can do is say, these are people in, in my market that are buying my products. Um, I want you to return me a list 
of other people in that same market that are not my current customers, but also have, let's say, like a 95% scoring rate in terms of the characteristics of the people that are purchasing things. Yeah, which is like like in the in the dumbest version possible of saying this is that like if you have a certain skew um that you want to try to sell more of, you can look at that skew um and you can see uh your customer list of th- the 30,000 people that have bought that SKU in the past six months and you can say oh wow uh how are all these people what are they all these people have in common um and I'm just I'm looking at Jake and I and let's just run the cliche uh these are all 40 year old men wow most of these SKU, people that buy the SKU are 40 year old men and those are your known customers so then what you would do is take that list and um, through kind of much more sophisticated analysis um, than I just gave, the um, ad tech company that's running your your ad could then not only target your your current customer list that includes like again that four year old man who's buying all those pre rolls or whatever. Um, it could then find all of the forty year old men who are living near your dispensary, or that you know uh, live near. Yeah, yeah, another I have retailer that has your brand on their shelves. And so like a lookalike model is just like, you know, looking like your customer. Um, and but that's the use using first party data to create a what is a third party data element that lookalike model is 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 utilizing the the, the third party category to uh, to kind of like expand your your pr- prospective customer base. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. Um, I do want to mention here for those of you in Zoom, I, I don't think we can see the ones on LinkedIn or YouTube, but if you're in Zoom, there is a Q&A section. If you have any questions that you'd like Matt or I to answer, f- feel free to type those in um, and we'll uh, get to those here in a few minutes. All right. So let's I, let's see. What are we what's our next topic here? I, mean, I think we, I mean, I, you know, I think so in the we touched on this a little bit, but if you want to shift to you know like, like the compliance around cannabis specifically and how data yeah. plays heavily into that um so yeah i mean i think taking the taking our example of you you've you've now noticed that you want to target um a certain group of people to be prospective customers because they look like your current customers you want to make sure that when you're targeting the new group of customers uh that you need to be complying with um your state's regulations around advertising in cannabis, um, which kind of first and foremost for what we're going to be talking about with demographics and third-party data is really about age, um, number one. Um, but it's and it also concerns geography in 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 some ways, just because of the um, uh, the the way that there's no advertising in school zones. A lot of the state regulations are not pres- are not are not uh, prescriptive on what that truly means. So um, I'll dive into ways that that we've solved that in in, in the past and, and and what can be done. That sound good? Yeah, go for it. Next, so we have uh, like I, like I said, we 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 um, compile age data from uh, government sources, from from uh, testing that we do, from uh, different uh, third party brokers that we work with. To then make sure that we are only cutting lists that contain um, individuals who are over t- over the age twenty one, 
and who, act, who can be compliantly advertised to uh, for cannabis. Um, and then because of the identifiers that we have, um, we make sure to have like a one-to-one -one link from our identifier to the digital identifier. And so then the intent is there that we are only advertising to people who are 21 plus. Um, this is important because when you go back to what Jake was talking about with um, digital audience creation um, and the fact that there's a, uh, a black box that surrounds that audience creation, um, there's really no way for um, on the, if, if a digital audience has an age of, of, of 21, there's no great way to know um, in, a, in a deterministic way how that audience uh, was assigned that age. So there's algorithms that, that, that assign age. There are, again, indicators that assign age, um, but there's no deterministic data element like a government source or a tested source or a survey source that goes back to um, you know, why that person was assigned at that age. At least there's not one that you can see um, and not one that you will have ready access to if and when a state regulator asks you about your advertising. So like that, I mean, that, that's a data practice that um, I, you know, shamelessly uh, being salesy here, uh, we built our entire cannabis uh, data practice on. Um, it's one that's kind of near and dear to my heart uh, as a policy um, matter. Like I, I worked um, on kind of data policy and, and, and age data policy for a while with um, uh, on, in, in tobacco control. So, um, I, I, were you going to say something before? I didn't... Yeah, I was going to. I was going to say that um, there. A lot of people aren't probably aware of, unless you are deep in the weeds in in the advertising industry in the history of the advertising industry. Um, a lot of the ways that advertisers would say that you know, because there's there's something called LDA, which is widely used, which is legal drinking age. Um, this predates cannabis being legal at all, uh, used a lot by the alcohol industry and other categories that are not supposed to be target, targeted towards children. Uh, largely, that effort was being done, was being borne by the, by the publishers, meaning the uh, TV network or the website or, or whatever it was, and them determining that their audience was a certain makeup and it was mostly adults, right? And so some of this would be as simplistic as this is a website that has content that children generally aren't interested in, so they're not going to be here, right? That That's, in some cases, as far as that went, that was the entire compliance argument that was being used. Um, and so traditionally, when you go into a digital media buying platform, some of those, those things still exist. The IAB, the Advertising Bureau, has categories, right? They have a category for health and wellness, have a category for alternative medicine, which sometimes cannabis falls into that. They have one for cigars, which encompasses all of tobacco. Um, they've got alcohol and they have other ones. But largely what, is, what has happened is, is that the publishers have said, this is my audience. Uh, my audience uh, is mostly over 21. So you are safe to advertise here, assuming that we will accept your ads. Um, and so with the amount of legislation that exists around cannabis, relying on that as your compliance protection layer is just not good enough anymore um especially when you have states now 
saying like New York, where they want 90% of your audience to be 21 or over. That there's there's very there's not very many ways that a publisher can actually verify that that that's true. So um, while there hasn't been a lot of um, litigation or I think fines being levied to date, mostly because I think the state boards are busy doing other things, um, it is a potential risk to you as an organization. And I think, yeah, I mean, and I think that there, it, 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 it's even it, it's even like a little bit more like like a little bit more um, real than that. Just like the like, the, I mean, the risk of fines and and yeah, regulators come after you is, 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 is sure. That's like, I guess, first and foremost, as, as a business and legal practice. But I think there's something a little bit more like existential about it is that we've seen and if you think about like the hundred year history here of consumer products in, in the United States, um, you know, there's, there's many, there's a debate over whether cannabis should be inviting federal uh, legislation and regulation. Do we want that? Do we not want it? Do we want it in certain areas and not? Um, once we're inviting federal oversight, once the market um, does kind of mature, um, the scrutiny against products and how they're advertised is going to be greater and greater and greater. So I, like, I, like I said, if you look at the hundred year history of consumer products, it is based on, I mean, based in, you know, alcohol, tobacco, you know, vapes, um, all had their moments of um, really doom um, for, for, the, for, the, for those industries at, at, at certain times. Um, the, the, the regulation around alcohol is largely self-regulated and these strict laws in like in the middle of the century from like the end of prohibition to probably, I don't know, the late eighties, early nineties that uh, alcohol wasn't advertised on TV. Um, th that, that was self-regulated because they were, they were terrified of prohibition coming back. Um, and then you, you have, you, you have these, uh, you know, cigarette laws. And I worked in, in tobacco control the first part of my career that um, are, you know, that were, like number one, they were reactive from the federal government and, and state governments. Um, a lot of them are based uh, on lawsuits, and um, essentially it has made put the cigarette industry out of business in the United States. At least it's a shell of his former self. And in in a kind of speed uh, speed reading way, the same thing happened to um, vapes. Uh, at least you know the kind of mainstream brands of vapes in the past. Uh, just five years, where you you had um, vape companies as as a as a booming industry. I'm talking about nic nicotine vapes um, that have become a pariah, um, and pariah even like with their own kind of customer base for what happened. And so, I don't believe that cannabis is as harmful um, as what I any of the products I mentioned. But like, it is to the industry's detriment. Like, if we don't like follow those uh you know learning experiences because it's like um we don't want to be dealing with reactive regulation on this stuff like yeah. we have proactive regulation from state regulators uh it's, it's a patchwork some states are getting it right some states are not getting it right there's like limited enforcement um there's arbitrary enforcement perhaps but um proactive and proactive regulation and then proactive 
kind of enforcement is is much much better than than reactive and so uh to be relying on i think um best practices that may be like just barely passing the legal test uh is is is, is to the detriment of, of the industry in the long term um because there's going to be a uh you know the seminal moment in uh as, as as a federally regulated industry where lots of people are going to be asking lots of questions and it's not going to only going to be politicians um it's not only going to be public health the public health communities to be our own customers it's going to be our the families of our customers kind of like wondering what's next and we that's not a position we want to be in. i know i got very high and mighty and like very soapboxy there but it's like it, it this is all to say like this is a there's a easy and um cost effective and uh you know compliant way to, to get this all done and yeah. it's using those deterministic data elements on age so you have that paper trail so you have uh the trust of your data source um and most most importantly so you have the actual like beginning of a relationship with a potential customer that's based in like a fact rather than an, an assumption yeah and you do see different things in different states right so we're running campaigns in every legal state right now um and we run into you know states are all doing things differently and there's different layers of compliance that we have to deal with you know aside from the third-party data we have to deal with compliance around the creatives themselves some states require a license others don't some states require creatives to be approved by a state board others do not um florida is actually pretty um pretty proactive i would say in terms of, of what they're doing um not only do they have some are they pretty stringent on the creatives but they also um require at this point valid well at least if you're if you're in compliance and doing what the state wants you to do you actually have to explain as an advertiser how you are targeting people so that they are over 21. Mm. Um, and that is and that is you know we've gone in a couple cycles with that right okay here's you know here's what we're doing they've actually were proactive and asked okay what is the methodology behind that how do you actually know that this is over uh you know someone who's over 21 or at least to the compliance level um so it's all over the place and i will i'll give you an example coming back to test me text messaging where there is an entire category of product that just doesn't exist anymore and that is that in the mid 2000s you used to be able to subscribe to things via a text message right and it would show up on your carrier bill the, or the entire twitter app was uh was through texting no but i mean you're on verizon right yeah, yeah. and you want to subscribe to some product you'd have a short code text you know sub subscribe to 88888 or whatever it was crazy frog yeah. that um so when, and what was happening though is that there were marketers selling largely content at the time ringtones and wallpapers and they were selling subscriptions and they were targeting those subscriptions to children um and those children were signing up on their parents' cell phone bill. And that was creating a $10 a month subscription that was by and large going on. Oh, because you weren't just opting in the, into the subscription, you're opting into a bill as well. A bill, it was a monthly bill. You're okay. 99 and they're 599 or whatever it oh, was. Yeah, it was a paid subscription, okay. Yeah, so you get ringtones or wallpapers, whatever it was, games. Um, emojis, remember those? Remember those? Remember the, uh, yeah, the interactive emojis on a Samsung phone? Those were. Those so were you days. just get, it would just show up on a line item, right? You'd have like, here's your, unlimited calling here's your text messaging plan 
here's blah, 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 blah. It just kind of was in there, right? And um, there was, I think, six states attorneys general that banded together and, and sued all the companies that were doing this, right? Um, and they sued, I, I forget the names of the companies that were doing it, but they all got sued completely out of existence. Um, and then there was, you know, uh, follow on and indemnification things that was going on. There's a kind of a long court case, but the eventual thing that happened is nobody subscribes to things on their cell phone bills anymore. They're just like, that's done. No yeah. more. Right. Because it was abused so much. So, um, there's a lot, there's, there's 51 states or 50 states. Um, it only takes one or a handful of states AGs to decide that they want to go after something. Um, and it can make everyone's life a lot more difficult if we're not proactive as it uh, as an industry. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and, and so we, we've actually put put a um, like a couple other best practices in, in place. Like I, I said earlier on the call that there's there, there's rules around advertising in school zones, but the the, you know, the state regs don't really make it make it clear whether that means you can't mail into a school zone, you can't put a digital ad into a school zone, even if it's a residential home. So we have we partnered with with niche, which uh, they, they make the school, they do like school rankings and school uh, reviews and things like that. Um, we partnered with them to get uh, use their location data uh, on, on schools to exclude homes that abut schools. Well, like the property and also within a thousand feet of, of a school. And so, and, and that's something that um, I think that it it is, like I said, it's not prescribed in the state regulation, but the more that we as an industry, and I, and I mean this, like more we as an industry do these things to kind of lead the way in compliance, um, we can be at the table then when the feds come a knocking. Because we'll, we'll we will have set the set the tone for like what regulation should look like, um, and be hand in hand with state regulators rather than kind of being chopped up at the table um, and having you know the, our advertising rights and our rights for free for free speech kind of limited because of like actions that people say that we were bad actors or something like that. That that's not a position we want to be in. And like so, data governance, um, data compliance is like a, is just a, is a huge part of that. Um, and uh, it's largely because we'll have the receipts, you know, we'll have the receipts on what we've done. Yeah. If you, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of the advertising regulations, as we call them, that are put in place by the, they're really put in place by the advertising industry, right? As a proactive way of saying, look, we understand the risks and, and what we should and shouldn't be doing. And we're enforcing that as an industry so that the federal or state governments don't need to come in and start creating laws right. because they're not domain experts and they're largely gonna, like what happened in California, right? So there was a bill passed in California that its its intention was to um, protect minors from advertising that was that was deemed to be targeted at children. Some of this is coming from brands, you know, like cookies and such. Um, but the net effect of it was the way that it was written basically banned any cannabis company from putting any photos or illustrations in any ads at all, right? Which right. is overreach. And that's what happens when you have people that aren't domain experts in a particular business category trying to write laws around it. So um, we're just about up on time here. Uh, so I don't know if we had, let me just see if there's any other topics we wanted to cover. We've kind of ran the gamut here. Um, 
I guess we can uh, on on that note, which is you know, let's all be good citizens, pay attention to what we're doing, uh, and try to be proactive about using data in a compliant way, and and using data not just third party data, but for targeting, but using it to make sure that we are uh, you know interacting with adults and and the people that we should be in the cannabis industry. Yeah, and 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 to that end, um, this is only this is. I try to like end with a sweaty salesman pitch. Uh, Statera is offering uh, between now and MJ Biz a free data quality assessment, which is we will look at your first party data and we will tell you the number of addresses we could update that are out, out, out of date, the number of phone numbers we could update on your first party data that are out of date. Um, we can help you with formatting of, of your lists. We can help you to merge lists from multiple CRMs and dedupe those. So uh, sales at statara.com. Um, reach out. We'll give you a data quality assessment and help you with these best practices. Can you do a data quality assessment on just all the things that are in my cell phone, like my personal address book? Because I think some things are out of date on that. Um, uh, but- uh, probably. Probably. All right. Probably. But in all seriousness, um, yeah, so you can reach out to sales at statera.com if you want to hear more information um, about Matt or, or to get a hold of him on LinkedIn. Uh, myself as well, I can be reached on LinkedIn, Jake Litke, um, and uh, MediaGel, if you want to do compliant digital advertising for Canvas brands, um, reach out and, and we can uh, take a look at it. So appreciate everyone's time today. This has been Cannabis Marketing Live. Matt Taverna of Statera. And Jake Litke. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody.